Hello, just a quick note to say that there is some swearing in this episode of the Mojo Record Club podcast. It's only one word, but we do say it quite a lot. So if you're offended by swearing, then um, just proceed with caution or give this one a swerve. Thanks a lot. You see it? Ace. There he goes. He's gone down there. Give him a shout. Tim. Hi, mate. Hello, come in. Hey. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good, thanks. Thank you very much for coming in. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Aya, this is Tim Burgess, and you're listening to the Mojo Record Club. Hello, I'm Andrew Mayle, and you're listening to the Mojo Record Club, a place where music lovers, musicians, crate diggers, writers, readers, and special guests get to share their love for classic albums, weird lost gems, and brand new revelations. My guests today are Mojo Associate Editor Ian Harrison and Tim Burgess. Hello, gang. Hi, how are we doing? Hello, hello. Tim has been part of the industry of human happiness for over 35 years, making music as frontman with the Charlatans, as a solo artist, but also as the label boss of the O Genesis record label. He's a DJ, an author, and in March 2020, as COVID lockdown began, he soothed the fevered brow of a music-loving nation with the online sensation of Tim's Twitter listening party, where he would invite his Twitter followers to listen to an historically significant LP in real time, while someone involved in the record, a producer, a singer, a songwriter, drummer, PR, would tweet anecdotes and memories of the record. Two lavish hardback books have been released to commemorate the happenings. And during that time, Tim also released what I would argue is the finest solo album of his career. The dreamy, psychedelic and sweetly melancholy Typical Music. Before we start, let's hear a little bit of one of my favourite tracks. The wistful, romantic, McCartney-esque pop of Sure Enough. Written by Tim Burgess and released on Belly Union Records. He gets me, I get him, even when I'm not And Tim, that is such a wonderful LP. It has a kind of a kind of delicate, wonky beauty to it, and um, I, I, I find it a kind of record of, of of great solace, and especially kind of, you know, I mean, every record made during lockdown was made during lockdown, you know, and it's it's a thing to talk about. It was such a strange time, and the records that came after it do have a unique and particular quality. Yeah. I mean, did you find that when you were making it? Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed making the record. Um, uh, you know, I wrote a lot of it in the first lockdown and and coming to terms of, you know, what was actually happening. Um, and I've made, you know, I've made records um, on drugs and I've made records uh, drinking a lot and I've made records now in COVID or made a record now in COVID and it's just as weird really yeah. as, or just as um, you know you kind of document in a, a moment and it's an altered state it is just, an altered state yeah just yeah. like the other ones that you've described <laughs> yeah. but I think the difference is that we were all going through that altered state That's, at the same yeah, time it's probably even more powerful really, yeah you know and you know it's funny kind of recording with masks on you know um, yeah and socially distanced so it's, yeah. there's a kind of like um 
you know, distance there. Was, and you didn't really know whether you'd done a good take because no one, you couldn't, uh, you couldn't <laughs> see the expression that anyone was, was giving out. And, and uh, so that made me kind of, you know, but then that's okay because you have to be even more confident in what you're doing. Yeah. And you'd imagine, I mean, kind of, the, it's the kind of thing that somebody would do as an art experiment to see the kind of album that they would come out with. That's really it? true. You know, kind of, I'll isolate myself. I'll kind of, I'll make, I'll place these. It's kind of almost like, almost, almost like a Brian Eno thing. Yeah, but on a huge scale, very grandiose scale. The whole world is going to stop for a bit. (laughs) It is. How does that make me feel? (laughs) And and listen, yeah, and and listen to these peculiar suggestions that Brian Eno has made about how we should live our lives. Not only is the world going to stop, but we don't know when it's going to start up again. That was the really sort of chilling part of it, wasn't it? But I mean, to be able to capture that and to capture the, I think the multifaceted aspects of it because you go through so many different kind of styles and moods on the record yeah yeah i mean i, I wanted uh, more electronic elements than uh, i've done before um uh, and i say done before um the album before because i use the same people daniel o'sullivan and thypol sandra and i wanted to get more of thypol sandra's electronic knowledge know-how um in the as well as his amazing kind of engineering skills yeah. How is Thype? As I he's brilliant. He's him. brilliant. I think he's going to be featured kind of a lot today um, in from from my world, you know, because obviously he worked with Julian Cole yeah. and you know. Well, we should move on to the other reason, maybe why he's going to be mentioned. The record that you've brought in to talk about today mm-hmm. has similar qualities. There's a similar kind of wonky strangeness <laughs> to it, and I was trying to think of how to describe this opening track, and it's. it's the, the phrase off-kilter just came up. I would say this is off-kilter. Slightly creepy. It's got a kind of retro, strange quality to it. Um, yeah. Sacrilegious. Well, of course. Bit of doo-wop. Very pop. It's called <laughs> I Came to Visit But Decided to Stay yeah. by Armin Sharbrook. Mm-hmm. And it was released on Mirror Records in 1974. Wow. And before we start, let's hear a little bit of the opening track. It's called Father Michael Loves Sister Jennifer and we'll we'll play a little bit of it now. Same door, it's the old wooden door Same old door, it's the old wooden door Now this could be a track on a solo Tim album though. Well, I hope so. Yeah, but and we'll, so we'll mention that because I heard, I heard this and I thought that's, that's totally got that kind of quality. It's that you real sometimes pop, go, isn't yeah. it? I mean, compared to you know the uh, yes. the follow up, yeah, um, which is kind of a bit more gospel, I suppose. Yes. Tim, yes. how did you first discover the strange world of Armin Sharbrook? Okay, so um, I was given a book called Copendium, uh, Julian Cope's book. I think it came out in 2012, and I picked it up round about then, and just flicked through it because it was, you know, it's such. It is like it looks like the Bible. This, I'll show you my research, really, uh, all my props. So I brought the records. Oh, great! How have you got the brought, uh, yeah. the triple? Got that. Got that. Uh, and triple quadraphonic nut. nut job as well. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's what we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, but oh, I've, oh, I've got to listen to my book. Copendium. That's oh, kind yeah, of how yeah. oh, kind of yes. I found out about him. So it's got it's got silver gothic lettering. Yeah, and it's black and leather bound. Yeah, it kind thick. of it, it looks like a serious, massive tome. It's doesn't a, it? It's what a, it is. Yeah, it really is. And um, so I, I flicked through it, and um, 
And before that, you knew nothing about nothing, the man? Nothing at all. Yeah, so it was, I mean, just really interesting. You know, I found, found myself, um, you know, feeling good that Julian liked... Um, you know, The Rocker by Thin Lizzy. And yes. like, that's my yes. favourite Thin Lizzy. And then my favourite Kiss song, uh, Parasite. And I was yeah. like, okay, I'm in good company. And I, <laughs> I had, had um, Condole by Sackett TV and I had uh, Eskimo by Residence. And then thought, so I thought when I started reading about Armand, I thought, yeah, it's going to be good. But he spent his hand in the letter saying, please kill me. Is yeah. Julian's yes. response is, Armand, I love you, man. It's you and me forever. <laughs> <laughs> So it is. Yeah. Maybe we should give it a little bit of background um, because it's good stuff. Okay. Um, Armand Shabrook was born in Rochester, New York in 1944 into a household with a, it had a Belgian father who'd suffered seriously in the war and had post-war PTSD. So it was kind of grew up in quite a kind of chaotic and anxious household. And in 1962, at the age of 17, he was sentenced to three years in a maximum security prison, age 17, for committing a string of 32 burglaries, including including break-ins in hardware stores, schools, a church. Um, And once he was released from prison at the height of Beatlemania, he and his brother started selling electric guitars out of their mum's basement. And they also opened a bit... You'll like this, Ian. They opened a beatnik cafe called The Black Candle on, on Lake Ontario. And the guitar shop eventually became the legendary house of guitars in Rochester, New York. Mm. But he also started recording music in the basement. First record he recorded in 1968 um, was... wasn't released until 1975. It was... I'm trying to just how how I describe it. Um, It's called A Lot of People Would Like to See Armand Sharbrook Dead. Mm -hmm. And it's quadraphonic, beat poetry blues rock, rock opera about the American prison system and his own time in it, going quietly mad. Andy Warhol had plans to turn it into an off-Broadway play before he was shot by Valerie Solanas. Mm. And Sharbrook released four LPs during the 1970s. Because of his time in prison, he called his group Armand Sharbrook Steals, but also maybe because of the eclectic approach to music. Yeah. that he has. And also because it spells ass, doesn't it? A-S-S. <laughs> yes, let's not forget that. It spells and ass. The, and the steals comes from the burglaries, right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and safe yeah, cracking and as well. Safe cracking yeah. everything. Yeah, he was a safe cracker wow. as well. And um, probably, So he knew, he knew his onions. Probably recently. the most famous album is uh, one from 1978 called, because of its title really, called Ratfucker. Yeah. And... Um, but the one that you've brought in today mm-hmm. is Ratfucker's kind of, it's got a kind of bar band rock opera chaos to it. It's amazing. It? It's yeah. amazing. I mean, it could have been any of the three, really. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the first one because, you know, um, the, the one, Armand Shabrook Dead, because of the, you know, the history of it. And yeah. There's like lots of drawings on the inside of the record of him being in prison and stuff yeah. like that. And, um, so that's his most autobiographical one. Yeah, it's very it? confessional. Yeah. Uh, and and, and the, the idea that Andy Warhol wanted to do something kind of like, you know, tip-tip, really, for me. Yeah. Um, 
uh, Rap Fucker is, is amazing and it's kind of like, you know, it's always at the front of my record collection. You know, it's yeah. like if people come in and, and notice it, well, they can't not notice it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's a good party piece. We should we describe the cover of, um, of Rap Fucker because it's fantastic. Well, all of his covers are fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but we've, we've, yeah. So basically, hang on, okay. Tim has kindly brought in all the albums, so if you can kind of just pass them over to me. Okay. The cover of his debut, which amazingly was recorded in 1968, That's is that right? Mad, yeah, Astonishing. So it was released in 1975, but recorded in 1968. It's called A Lot of People Would Like to See Armand Sharbrook Dead. Yeah. And it's basically got him smiling a kind of idiot grin on the front, but with a bullet hole through his head. It's the best title for a debut. Pouring down. Right? Absolutely, yeah. You know, it's like no one knows who he is. No. And it's kind of, but it's, you know, it's incendiary, it's controversial, yeah, yeah. it's argument starting. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's fantastic. But, um, Ratfucker, which for years I thought was a European record. I thought it was like French or Belgian right. because of the surname. Yeah. And also because on the cover, you've basically got him in sort of mirror shades yeah. with a striped top yeah. and holding up a flick knife with very badly rendered blood running down it. And the flick knife is going through the head of an even more poorly rendered rat um, with, a, with, a, with its tongue sticking out and blue eyes. And... The record that you've brought to talk, brought in to talk yeah. about, Armin Sharbrook's I Came to Visit but Decided to Stay. Mm -hmm. Do you describe the cover of that one, Tim? Well, so he's holding a picture of a nun, which is Sister Jennifer. Mm. Um, there's a guitar there that I've only ever seen Paul Stanley use before from Kiss. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the name of it, but Thai Paul Sandra definitely does. And he's sitting on a gravestone... Uh, uh, with some roses scattered. He's drinking some kind of liquor, hard liquor. He's dressed as, as a reverend. And um, I think as the story goes, basically, this, it's a concept album, as, yeah. as I'm, I'm as sure they all are. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and basically is in love with um, Sister Jennifer, um, who has dedicated and her life to Jesus and is married to Jesus, wearing his ring. And um, she can't kill herself uh, because she'd be in purgatory. And uh, so he has to kill her. <laughs> it's like the standard theme of most rock albums, I mean, mm. isn't it? You know, it's kind of... And then he... So after he kills the nun, mm -hmm. what is his response to it? He goes to visit her grave. Yeah. And went to visit, but decided to stay. So he lives on the yeah, grave. He lives, he lives on, on the grave. He lives on the grave. How romantic. And, and how it's, would it's, you... It's insanely romantic. It's a really difficult question, this one, but how would you describe the sound of this record? There's little bits of Elvis in there. I mean, imitation Elvis, I yeah. think. You know, um, possibly bad imitation Elvis, but the thing that comes through is uh, it's, it's a pop album, but I, I think how you described it before is like barroom kind of stuff, like really debauched barroom yeah. kind of um, New York-y. It's almost like there's a kind of grotty street version of Lou Reed without, street hustle with, there, without kind of, the art, without yeah, the pretensions towards could, art. Yeah. 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 So you've got that kind of, you've got the repetition, you've got the fact that he's singing about kind of street people and, and, and religion and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So, yeah. so many crossover points with Lou Reed, yeah. but much more grotty. Really grotty, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and um, you know, I mean, it's... Quite, you know, quite visionarily. Visionarily grotty. In Visionarily some way. grotty. Yeah. 
<laughs> you're doing it so long ago and you know yeah. well that's it there yeah. is a, I mean we're, we're forgetting about when these albums were recorded so he records them between 1968 and 78 so they're in the window they're in a pre-punk window, pre-punk window aren't yeah. they yeah. Yeah. and yet so many of the themes and sounds that are going on there are basically what would become punk rock yeah. and the level of playing as well level yeah. of playing is amazing the, the guitar yeah. in is just incredible and the, 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 you know, the, the girl singers that are pretty much on all of the tracks I really like you know that's the other I mean that's the other thing as well there is a there's a there's a sort of rock opera quality to them as well, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. Because I was thinking, but listen to it, it's a, bit, it's a bit like School's Out or something, isn't it? You know, yes. It's quite short and condensed, but it really takes you places. Yeah. You know, it could conceivably go on for much longer because you kind of go into it and then emerge with your head kind of spinning. So it has got Alice in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, very much elements of Alice yeah. Cooper in there. What's that black and white album, uh, Alice Cooper's? Love It to Death. Yeah, that one. Yeah. That one. Yeah, so it's, it, yeah, kind of so... Post pretties for you, but pre-schools out. Yeah, yeah. It's the best Alice album. Right, right, yeah, right, right. definitely. And also, Ian was going to say something. Go on. I, I was just wondering when I can come in with my uh, Julian Cope. Uh, right thing, now, which, which disrupts the flow somewhat. But no, never mind. No, this is good because I. Okay, Ian, I would like to ask you how you discovered Armin Sharp. Well, I'll tell you. Funnily enough, Tim, yes. it was uh, when me and Andrew worked at Select Magazine many years ago. Uh-huh. One of my uh, assignments was to go to Julian Cope's house wow. and talk about his possessions. Yes. And we saw things like the, the fried turtle shell and the Turtle Explodes leather amazing, jacket. Amazing, amazing. And he also said, and look at this record, and it was Ratfucker, you know, which is, we didn't play it on the day, but because it sears itself so much onto your brain, yeah. you know, you don't forget. You don't forget. So consequently, when the internet arises yeah. and everything is simultaneous again yeah. I, went, I went and found out a lot more about him which is almost a shame in a way you know to know that he is a mortal man <laughs> with normal needs <laughs> and a guitar shop well it's a really um, there's a really sweet kind of like a video on YouTube of, of him showing you around his shop and um, uh, you know it's, it's about 15 minutes and, and it's not but it's more of an emporium really it's like there are, there's you know pictures of you know every kind of like pop star that's been into his shop yeah uh, you know from um, um, it's like signed Elvis stuff and all that kind of thing Beatles and, and records and guitars you know but I think it did say um, uh, that for all the rare records, uh, for all the rare guitars that you can't get, and uh, we've got three of them, mm. you know, so <laughs> so he's a real collector of just mad stuff, yeah. you know. And let's just listen to a little bit of that recording. This is Armand himself showing people the memorabilia in his shop. Here's a pair of Jimi Hendrix's pans. He left them at a Moody Blues party in the 60s. And I don't know what he left wearing, but he left his pants there. And we got them from Denny Lane, who was in Moody Blues at the time. And then he was later in Paul McCartney's Wings. Uh, This is a John Lennon-owned military jacket and sweater. He has recorded more music. He's been, yeah, he's been continuing to record. But I think the reason is like he makes so much money through the guitar shop. Yeah, that there is no real reason to make money through music. Yeah, Ian, you were telling me that him and his brother were on the Walter Cronkite news show in the sixties. Apparently, they were, which shows the depths of their subversive intent. (laughs) That they they had a billboard about long hair saying, "Help keep America beautiful, let it grow." Wow. (laughs) Now this is like you know when it was. Not exactly a hanging offence, but you could be run out of town, couldn't you, for saying stuff Absolutely. like this? Absolutely. Wow. Wow. Aya, you're listening to the Mojo Record Club. This is Tim Burgess. 
Shit. I want to go back to this thing that you said about it being his pop record because we've talked about all these weird themes that go through it and it's kind of, it's got this kind of slightly deranged sort of punk aspect. But the thing that you come away from it is the beautiful melodies that are going on in there as well. That's true. Um, I mean, Father Michael of Sister Jennifer, that's, that is, it's really easy to listen to. I think we've just heard that yeah. one, haven't we? And, and, and uh, you know, it's obviously the... Uh, he's the setting the stall out of the story and stuff like that. And the, the next track, "Baby Can't uh, Baby Can't Let You Burn," is is quite aggressive. And then he does a version of "Old Lang Syne" that's just like the most incredible yeah, yeah. version I've ever. It's, it's, and I, I was like, "Where? Did, how beautiful is this?" It's astonishing because I was I was listening to it and I was kind of thinking when I heard um, the first track, I was thinking. These there are tracks on here that could have been singles. So I thought, what singles did he put out? What singles did he put out? The single that he released was the version of "Old Lang Syne." Wow, isn't that astonishing? It's a very popular song across generations. Appeal. That was Old Lang Syne, music by Armand Sharbrook, lyrics obviously by Robert Burns and released on Mirror Records. I think one of the things I would say about listening to it again is you go, you know, this actually could have gone somewhere almost, you know, it could have been a success, which is quite mind-boggling. I think what's interesting about it is it's that kind of mix of ambition and lack of ambition in the sense that they're, 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 these are concept albums, they're mm-hmm. grand visions. There's, you know, there is, he releases, his debut album is a triple album recorded in quadraphonic, you know. Yet, at the same time, on each of the albums, there's yeah. always something f- unfinished about them yeah. as well. Yeah. So you have these kind of grand visions, you have this kind of this conceptual rock opera genius, and then at the same time, they feel... Mm simultaneously a bit amateurish and unfinished. The two things are going <laughs> on at the right. same time. And also that the idea that they should be in a brown paper wrapper. <laughs> yes. And carried very furtively home. They had, not tell yeah. anyone you own them or anything like that. Obviously we are doing it now, but... Well, they have that quality of old New York, as it by yeah. pre-Giuliani New York to them, don't yeah, they? Yeah, definitely. Like, yeah, what, 75-ish or something? Yeah. yeah. You know, when kind of it was all sort of strip clubs and drugs and all yeah. that kind of stuff. He captures that. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I thought of um, Street Hustle, you know, new, uh, Lou, Lou Reed, kind yeah. of like the track Dirt, maybe. Uh, yes. You know, kind of like a bit like that, a bit Iggy. Bit, oh, definitely a bit of Iggy in but there. But also a bit Shaking Stevens as well. Yes, but also, well, also that was the other thing, you know, <laughs> other other groups who kind of throw back to that rock and roll stuff like the Tubes and the Dictators. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so right. you, yeah. Can, you can definitely see parallels with that. One of the tracks that I wanted to play is this incredible reworking of Edgar Allan Poe's 1849 poem, The Bells, which kind of, in a way, perfectly captures the kind of madness of Sharbrook. But also, I think it's the best version, the best version of Poe's poem. It captures the insanity of Poe as well. It totally does. And um, also, can we just point a full five years before Mr. Lou Reed names one of his albums after Edgar Allan Poe's The Bells? The Bells yeah. 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 So let's play a little bit of The Bells, music by Armin Schaubrook. 
Lyrics by Mr Edgar Allan Poe and released on Mirror Records. What a what a what a, a, a what a song! We were so when we go to early that um, whenever you sent Armand uh, any sort of fan mail or any kind of communication, apparently be very generous with what he sent back. You get records and stickers and yeah. you know newspaper cuttings, but there'd always be a message of you know great to hear from you. When next time you're in Rochester, please kill me. Yeah, signed Armand, and he did he did this like more than once. Yeah, which is quite a way to engage with the fan base. I think it's well, it's, you know, it's very generous. <laughs> In his life, <laughs> and um, what did Julian Cope say back to him? Oh, he said, um, Armand, I love you, man, it's you and me forever. That's it, that's, that's what it. His, how his response was in the Copendium, yeah, which yeah. is a you know, a but great also, phrase. if we're talking <laughs> about the contributions that Armand makes to punk rock, and please kill me, of course, becomes the title of the definitive history of it. M- does yeah. punk rock That's, American punk rock it does Legs McNeil's Legs please McNeil's kill me book. Wow. do you think he got it from there I think he did wow yeah I think uh, basically I think this is kind of what we're working to here I think that even though you've got all these kind of rock and roll elements and kind of rock opera elements I think at heart what he is is the kind of the nucleus of New York punk rock I think you're right yeah and I didn't think that before I just thought it was like this, you know, um, sort of oddball character that was doing his own thing. Julian Cope sort of like would see the records come into probe. It, it, they'd be left unopened because the punks didn't really want them, um, and they were expensive. Oh, they were imports, weren't they? Like seven whole pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so they're seven whole pounds, yeah. and uh, and they'd wait for them to go in the cheap. Bin, yeah, there's a story, isn't there? Where he, he went to this cheapo shop, right. and obviously whoever was buying these records didn't like them, so they'd just go and flog them again to the cheap shop. Quite a modern thing to be doing, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we could go and buy them then for two whole pounds. <laughs> <laughs> or get Yorkie to buy them. So, you know, in that, you know, again, the role of Yorkie in that Liverpool post-punk thing, yeah. punk is, uh, you know... Yeah. Can you explain to the listeners who Yorkie was? Well, Yorkie, he, people would know him because he ended up being in Space, didn't he? The group Space. Yes. Right. But I think he gave lots of groups, his, well, his mum gave lots of groups a place to rehearse. Right. And I think he had um, enough pocket money to uh, buy the records like, you know, Armand Charbrook. Um, he was in a band called the Church Mice, wasn't he? Yeah. Yes, that was his first. Yorkie bought the record of that. Did he? I mean, don't quote me on any of this. And I'm no, talking no. about him like I know him and I don't. Hello, <laughs> right. if you're out there, right. uh, David. <laughs> the other, I mean, the other thing as well in terms of like that pre-punk sound, I can hear a bit of the Modern Lovers in there as well. I'm sure, yeah. I mean, I, I love Jonathan. Yeah. And also, I was thinking who would be a fan or who would have been influenced by Armand Sharbrook. How familiar are you with the work of Bobby Conn? Me? Yeah. Quite familiar. Um, I remember kind of like early 2000s having a CD um, and, and enjoying it. Yeah, because I think that kind of sense of doing miniature rock operas on the cheap, which he does, you know, that sense of conceptual albums, but still with a sort of punk ethos, is very much the kind of influence of Armin Sharbrook. Wow. Mm. Yes. 
so great to sort of like you know get in depth about him and uh, you know to, to well, see what his influence or what his legacy is. The other thing I was thinking of, the Blue Mask, Lou Reed's The Blue Mask, uh-huh. is basically Lou Reed doing Ratfucker because in Ratfucker is is basically Armin Sharbrook taking on all these different characters, these different low life characters, yeah. and singing songs from their perspective. You right, know, right. Um, often to an unpleasant degree, right. where you might say, but that's exactly what Lou's doing with the blue mask. So I do. I mean, I would. Lo- I looked and I looked and um, to see if there was any point where Reed references Armin Sharbrook hmm. or anyone Is makes that. Any? No, I can't find wow. anything. I can't find any point where obviously, you know, people writing about Armin Sharbrook say, "Oh, obviously, yeah. you know, you can see the connection with Lou Reed," but. He must have got out to that, that guitar shop at some point. Well, exactly. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, I think kind of he's one of those people listening to these records, and it's kind of you touched on it, Tim, that sense that the more you think about it, the more layers get revealed. When yeah. you listen to them, they, they can sound like quite rough and basic yeah. records in, in many ways, kind of almost, almost a kind of homemade kind of ambition yeah. to them. But I think they are kind of some kind of secret. I think you've brought in the secret urtext of New York punk today. I mean, just the ambition of having a songwriting credit, Armin Sharbrook and Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. Is, 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 <laughs> it has to be applauded, doesn't it? It really it does. Really does. Think, he, think he paid anything to the estate? And, the just estate the, Allan Poe? and the thought, you know, the thought that goes into the sleeve, because, you know, you can tell what the album is just by talking about the elements. Yeah. Yeah, does, does they it, are, does they it are, say who Sister Jennifer is or was? Oh, do you think it's autobiographical? I have no I idea. Think, I think. But I think I'm, the first one is definitely autobiographical. Yeah, I mean, I would. And I wonder if they all are autobiographical. Be, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I suppose their picture is on there, so she certainly, obviously, was somebody. Yeah. I want to close out by saying, if I was in a record shop with you, Tim, <laughs> yeah. and you picked up a copy of the album that we're discussing today, yeah. And, our, and the person you were with didn't have it, how would you recommend it to them? you say, have you got this? Yeah. And they'd say, no, I've never even heard of it before. What's it like? How, how would, would you describe it? I would say, okay, he's got one record that I don't even own, right? And it's called Live at the Holiday Inn. A double. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a double album. How can you not like that? And it's not even a real live album. And it's not even a real live and album. And it wasn't even recorded at the Holiday Inn. He's a complex guy. Um, uh, you know. And they said, yeah, yeah, okay, fine, sure. Okay, tell well, me, what does it sound like? Tell me about this record that is I don't own in my hands, but why should I buy this one, Tim? Well, just look at the artwork. Uh, look at look at um, the amount of effort that's gone into it. Look at look at how he looks. Um, um, he's like he's like a real debauched Bob Dylan. You know, it's like <laughs> he, he has his bands sound like just they sound like trash. And um, but his concepts are so big, and his um, you know, and and his commitment is 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 so you know absolute, so, yeah. absolute. Yeah, thank you. I think I think you summed it up. They sound like trash, but his commitment is absolute. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's perfect yeah. because I mean that's exactly what they are, the and that's th- why Julian Cope likes them. Yes, isn't it? That, exactly. That's, that's why he because his commitment to his life, and yeah. also the the thing that he recognizes, and I think you see it when you see Julian Cope, and you and you understand it when you realize the artist that he loves, even though he would not say that he was interested in such low concepts such as marketing. That's what. Armin Sharbrook is a master of 
design, promotion and marketing. You know, that's what these records are. That's what they're exercises in. You pick them up and you go, I cannot leave the shop without a copy of Ratfucker. You You couldn't. I cannot leave the shop without a copy of I Came to Visit but Decided to Stay. These things, these are records that have to be in your possession. You want to make sure you get them back off in there. And even if, even if they don't quite convey the brilliance of the covers... They convey something else as well. And I think that Tim's just summed it up. Basically, trash with ambition. And I think that's, in a way, I think that's what we all aspire to. And you've got the plectrum as well. Oh, no, you haven't. (laughs) You've got the the rat fucker plectrum. I I need to explain that uh, the rat fucker album came with a plectrum with the word rat fucker (laughs) on it. And finding a copy of the record with the plectrum intact is incredibly hard to do. My copy doesn't have the plectrum. Ian is just stroking the plectrum as we speak, marvelling at the fact that it exists. I just never thought I'd see one. Oh, well, there it is. But it looks like it's never going to come off, though. No, no, no. No, Not that I would take it off, but it looks nice, kind of glued. You did play something with it, though, you know, can you imagine? I imagine what it would sound like. One single. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe maybe you should should do it just as a a one-off seven-inch for Record Store Day. Just... The, the single strum yeah. that kind of maybe just it awakens something unholy wow. or majestic, and then let it uh, get five balls on. <laughs> yeah, well, he would love to get involved. I'm going to see him in a couple of days. So um, suggested so, to, or well, let it resonate for ages and put it on a twelve inch. Yeah, like, oh, wow. exactly. Twelve minutes of yeah, the plectrum. I'd have to find someone to steam it off. Yeah, and then, then put it back again. Put it back again. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ian, what new music have you been listening to this week? Andrew, um, well, I've been listening to you know, quite a bit of music, but the, the one we thought we'd talk about today is uh, Comradely Objects by Horse Lords. Um, they're from Baltimore, uh, an improvisational group. Um, I actually first came across them. I went to the Guess Who Festival in Utrecht in 2016. And in the programme, it wasn't as good as uh, Iggy and Shaking Stevens, but um, <laughs> the, the write-up was, it's like Steve Reich and the Sex Pistols. And you go, oh, really? That's, wow, that sounds that's interesting. interesting yeah. Now, actually, I didn't end up going to see them. But the, you know, the, it stuck in my mind. So I listened to the um, there's like the record that year called Interventions, which is this sort of a Congolese kraut rock sort of a feel. And then um, a few years later in 2020, the Common Task, which um, has got a lot of bagpipes on it. It's also you know minimalist sort of repetition stuff. So you know quite up my street. Yeah. Um, the new one, Comradely Objects, is again improvised with. Um, you know, there's sort of a punk and jazz and funk and drones on it, as you know, because you've listened to it. Yes. But I suppose what I, I like about it is um, it's quite indi- it's quite individual and of itself. You know, there are electronics on it. There's a sax player. Mm-hmm. I think the guitarist has modified his instrument, yeah. you know, in a way that is peculiar to himself. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so, so sometimes the, sort of the improv thing can be a bit stern, can't it? And mm-hmm. Sometimes a bit short on laughs. Mm-hmm. And I don't <laughs> find that with this group. I think there is a, there's a great sort of, energy about it a propulsive sort of energy yeah, yeah. I think that um, I don't think the bands that um, uh, there's, uh, you could say Faust or yeah. Battles or do you know that group uh, do make say think yes who have a sort of like a, it's like a post-rock sort of jazz thing these are to me these are groups that you know are making quite um, sort of arduous music in some ways you know it's not the easiest <laughs> stuff no but they do it with a, a very winning sense of fun I let's think. hear a little bit of them. Let's hear um, a bit of the track Mess Mend 
by Horse Lords, which you've kind of, in a way, described and critiqued accurately just there. It's released on Revenge Records. And uh, let's just hear a little bit now. Tim, um, how deep into the Horse Lords world are you? Not that deep. Uh, only, um, you know, like a couple of days, really. Uh, so it's, so this is the first record you've heard by them, yeah? Yeah, it is the first record I've heard yeah. by them. And, what, what did you think? Um, well, uh, I went through it all and um, I really liked it. Um, there's something that really pleases me about the kind of like the, the way that the guitar kind of and and bass don't sort of almost don't work together on purpose and mm. you know that kind of like that's the only way i can describe it um it just sounds right but it's not yeah um and i like the electronic side, side of things you know reminds me of kind of um you know maybe like early factory floor and stuff like that and you know not that it should remind me of anything mm. because it has its own thing um and then there's a track you know that track that just kind of reminded me of like it was like the Happy Mondays, but like all speeded up and kind of like all like it's the one with the, it's got like yeah. a house piano. Yeah, the going house, through house it. piano with it. And it's kind of, but it, you know it could have been. Uh, is, it, is it Step On? Is it Kinky Afro? Is it? I, I, I didn't know. It wasn't. I any thought of it was them. Step, step On. Yeah, it might have been. Oh, so it, it definitely was then. Yeah, no, no, it wasn't. It just sounds like it. it yeah, it just, it just sounds like the same it, kind uh, of one fingered piano playing yeah. school, doesn't it? And then there's like, and then there's another track that's got this like really droned out, yeah. and I think that was called. I did make a note of it. Law of Movement. The last one. It was about track five, I think. There's only eight tracks in there, I think. And it's like right in the middle, ten minute long. Yeah, amazing. Uh, Really, uh, that really was the one for me because it started off so, you know, it wasn't going anywhere on purpose. We should say that, should we? We should have said, you know, they're as happy doing very little as they are doing quite a lot. Wow, wow, wow. That's that's good. And 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 to be able to sort of like just jump from that to that is interesting. The thing I like about them is that I was reading an interview with them, and in an interview they can get quite intellectual and deep they can talk about things like just intonation and they can talk about the influence of lamont young and things like that and james tenney and you know and john zorn they talk about difficult music you know Mm. and kind of and they talk about it in a way that kind of sounds quite kind of deep and complex yet the point that they arrive at also kind of accesses things like you know club music and rock music as well so you read about them and they and they sound Mm. like they might be quite forbidding or foreboding and then you actually listen to them and you, and it's exactly what um tim just said it's right but wrong you can hear the kind of the regular reference points and then you can also hear the weird reference points and they're both going on at the same time hope, that's that's yeah. what i liked about i hope them. we don't get a letter complaining that we've said that they sound like they're enjoying themselves and they're making it but i do think <laughs> they do but, yeah but like magma enjoy themselves a lot yeah. don't they and it's kind of like and that's off and yes. on and it's kind of like yeah. a bit of jazz and it's a bit kind of like you get the impression that magma have r- to suffer more don't they? But they do <laughs> that we make sure everyone's at the ex, you know yeah, yeah. extreme of the you know so endurance the, but there's a bit of suffering in this right yeah there is a bit of suffering yeah but I, it's kind of suffering i enjoy 
personally. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm, I'm actually. I'm going to Legasso again, and uh, they're on. So I'm definitely going to see them this time. So you'll be right. able to get to see whether they actually enjoy themselves on stage. I'm going to. Yeah. 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 Whether they just you know turn their back on the audience and frown. Yes. Yeah, or whether turn their back in pitch darkness, <laughs> making an unbearable noise, or if it is bright but the you know the thing that you mentioned like the sort of you know congolese electronics yeah. and everything they are so often they pull from areas of music that are kind of you know quite joyful and uplifting you know kind of things i mean in a way kind of talking about them it kind of like you you end up canceling they end up canceling themselves out because mm. you're talking about a positive aspect and a negative aspect yeah. but it's those two things coming together that seems to work with them i suppose i think isn't it it's like you know you can break, keep two things in existence as close as they can be before it completely disintegrates, yeah. <laughs> then you've got a really quite an interesting little moment. Absolutely, there, that kind of, of dynamic that tension. Point yeah. before collapse. Yeah, yeah. and that, that's when you notice it really, because at first it's just, you know, at first you just think, oh yeah, this is interesting, and then you think, oh wow, you know, this is that moment. Yeah, yeah, because you're, I mean, exactly what you were saying earlier, Tim, you're kind of asking yourself, is this going to work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. You know, is this, yeah. are they going to be able to see this idea <laughs> yeah. through to the end? And then you're into it and you go, oh, they yeah, really yeah, are. Yeah, and yeah. more than I actually expected. Exactly. Yeah. That's brilliant. You are listening to the Mojo Record Club. My album of the week is um, by, uh, the new album by Natalie Mehring, who calls herself Wise Blood, although until... About an hour ago, I thought she called herself Wayseblood. And maybe they are both. Maybe both exist in the same space. But Wiseblood makes more sense because it's obviously a reference to the Flannery O'Connor novel. Now, um, I've been, I used to work um, on staff for Mojo and would get sent, you know, every record all the time. I've been freelance since 2016. And this isn't a gripe, Ian, but I don't get sent the amount of free records that I use. Neither to. do I, no. Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't hear the amount of new records in the office that I used to. And so I was actually in the really rare position of buying the last Wiseblood album, Titanic Rising, purely on the strength of the cover, which I think is one of the underrated pleasures of record buying. It's a great cover. Yeah, and it's also, we've kind of just been talking about that with uh, Armand Sharbrook, yeah. haven't we? We've been talking about the power of the cover as a marketing tool, but also how it promises something that's going to be inside the record. It's yeah. kind of, you know, it's like a kind of a deal that you make with the person who's made the music. Okay, okay if you sound like the cover of Ratfucker, I'm in. Yeah. And similarly, I looked at this, the cover of Titanic Rising, which is basically shows Natalie in what appears to be an approximation of her childhood bedroom, stuffed bear on the pattern bed sheet, posters on the wall. It just so happens that the bedroom is at the bottom of the sea. And the record kind of has a similar feel. It's kind of like the... It's kind of, it's kind of like the musical version of. Do you know what the "This is fine" meme? Yes. Yes, of the dog in the burning room with a coffee and a smile on his face, and he's basically he's saying, "This is fine." Yes. It's kind of like the music ver musical version of that. A sense of someone navigating the despair and awfulness of the world, but with a kind of baroque nostalgic optimism. Um, I had Shades of the Carpenters in there, Joni. Carol King, the first John Grant album as well, but also ghosts of sort of that ambitious sort of focal jazz style of the 50s, people like Peggy Lee and Julie London as well, you know. Singers who find a kind of majesty at the end of the affair, you know, where everything is ruined yeah. and fucked, but you find a beauty in it. Yeah. Um, the new one, um, which is called In the Darkness, Hearts Aglow, 
It's kind of a smaller, more sort of chamber pop affair, but no less beautiful. There's that kind of reverb to her voice that suggests, you know, a lone voice in a big room. And it kind of reminds me a lot of um, that sort of poetic melancholy of Amy Mann. You know, songs set at night, Mm -hmm. cars on freeways, people driving away from failed relationships into this, you know, new collapsing world. But the one thing that you've got going for you is the fact that you can you can write an exquisite rhyming couplet or you can create the perfect melody. The one thing that you've got going for you is the songs that you were writing about how awful everything is. Um, let's listen to a little bit of the the perfect opening track, which is called It's Not Just Me, It's Everybody. And I think the thing I love about this track and the title is that it kind of... I think people overlook the fact that she's also a very funny writer. I was going to say that. Yeah. And there is a wit there. And it's interesting, some of the reviews of this, people take her lyrics and her titles at face value. And I think that's a mistake because there's a lot more going on in there in terms of sort of irony and wit and humour. So this is, um, it's not just me, it's everybody by Way's Blood. And it's released on Sub Pop Records. Are you a fan of Wise Blood? I'm a fan of Wise Blood. I, can I just say that I will keep calling them Wise Blood? I can't. I, I think I, I just like there's something broken in my brain, and I hope she forgives me for that. I, I think she will. Okay. I, I think. I mean, I, I had to ask. Yeah. You know, um, and we I'm, were talking earlier about how to pronounce Armin Schaubrock, weren't we? As well. That's right. That's you know, right. if you don't move in those circles where people are saying those names all the time, and you're just teaching yourself by reading it that's it. magazines that's it. I don't go. even think pe- people know no we would say it all do you the think time. you're basically we're providing a cultural service I think we are yeah, <laughs> even if it's one of confusion how do, I mean how long have you known about her stuff how long have you been into her um, for a while actually um, there's this blog that um, I follow called uh, Weird Old Music Forever and uh, they started reporting it about uh, Natalie about seven or eight years ago, something like that. Um, I really liked the work that she did with Drug Dealer. Yeah. Um, Suddenly, I think was one of them. And I I I think the video for that was just like hilarious. Uh, Just like uh, the video for, um, is it uh, Every Day uh, on Titanic Rising? Yes. You know, the horror, slasher horror thing. Yeah. And it's just like, it's the sweetest song with the video that ends up in, as a bloodbath. Yeah. And, and, and I, I really like that sense of humour, you know. And um, with this new record, the song that you just played is astonishing to me. Yeah. I just think it's like one of the best, well, the best song I've heard this year. Yeah. Um, the rest of the album I've not had much of a chance to listen to, but I'm sure it's going to be great because she is great. Yeah. What, I mean, as a sort of fellow songwriter... You know, and it's kind of, I always find this interesting as somebody who can't, speaking as somebody who can't play an instrument and can't write music, when you hear somebody who is writing at the level that Natalie is, yeah. but you're listening as a songwriter, yeah. what are you hearing? Um, ambitious chord progressions, 
um, uh, no real um, care about um, how long something takes to get anywhere. Changes all the way through it. Um, uh, just uh, incredible melodies. Uh, she's obviously got an amazing voice. There is humour in there. So it's just kind of everything. Yeah. Really. It's everything. It's, I mean, I kind of, I, you know, I ended up getting quite besotted with um, Titanic and with this one, having, yeah. having listened to, having been lucky enough to have listened to this one quite a lot. Right. And just, you know, and feeling that there are kind of, there's that sense which you can get really excited about an artist where you feel that they are constantly moving forward, constantly evolving, but kind of, but play, but not in a sense of like, you know, I've I've found a new direction for my music. She's still, it's still very much what she knows and is good at. Yes. But is finding new ways to say it, new, you know, new melodies. Lyr- lyrically, I think she's astonishing. Absolutely incredible. Um, again, from that song in Titanic Rising, I, re- I really enjoyed um, True Love is Making a Comeback. Yeah. You know, that, that resonated with me hugely. And uh, yeah, the uh, just it's not just me, it's everybody. Yeah. It's, 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 just, it's just brilliant. Yeah, there's a kind of, there's a real dark wit. And I kind of mentioned Amy Mann in the, um, the introduction. I mean, and that, there's no higher praise from me than, right. you know, comparing someone to Amy Man because she has that similar kind of dark wit, but away with a sort of a perfect melody, but also something kind of quite almost hallucinatory and kind of trippy to the quality of yeah. how she writes. Yeah. I mean, just listen, I think it reminds you how good it is when somebody has a, you know, great control of their voice. So they don't, you know, there's this, that sort of Karen Carpenter slightly removed. Yeah. A little bit, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's strange. Well, not a blankness, that sounds wrong, but you know what I mean? Ah, oh, there's a coldness there, a definitely. Coldness there. Yes. And it brings out, th- it just enhances so much, you know, the humour. Yeah. You know, the horror, the emotion of it, even the melodic stuff. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, um, you know, because you don't have to over-emote all the time, do you? Yeah. No. And you get it across much better. Absolutely. With, uh, oh, you. I mean, I think you're absolutely right, In You know she has the strength. And you know that she could go there if she wanted to and then and, and kind of over-emote and over-deliver. Yeah, yeah. But it's that sense of like, you know, a powerful engine that's just kind of idling at the lights and scaring <laughs> you. You know, yeah. you know that if it had to, it could go there. But yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they're so cool that they're not even going to bother trying. Or even if it is the occupants of the interplanetary craft you know, <laughs> playing their piano and singing to you. No, I I like that. I think that's a really like good point because I think there's a, there is that alien quality to her as well, to her music. Yeah, it's it's there's an eeriness there. You've definitely said it. I'm trying to think of something to add, but um, yeah. yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's cold. It, there's yeah. some coldness there. Yeah. Too. But there's also that idea, you know, of, you know the you know of you know what I mean. Improper, improper is not the word, but you know, a sort of pop star as not mortal being. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. that's where that coldness or yes. you know, reminds you of a bit. You know, and I think that on a higher plane, yeah, that remo- plane, yeah, that removal, right. yeah, higher plane. I think is good. I mean, kind yeah. of this. I mean, it's funny, it's like you you almost feel talking about that, that you're edging into hyperbole, but you're not. <laughs> it's kind of like, this is kind of, in a way, the only way to talk about someone, I think, this good and this talented. Amazing. Have, have you met her? I haven't, no. No. Have you ever met Armin Sharbrook? I haven't, no. <laughs> These are people who are like, you know, gods. You yeah. Know, so there's, there's, no, there's no point. I know. <laughs> Well, look, we've met you today and it's been absolutely fantastic. I've had a, a brilliant time talking Me to too. you about Me too. Armand and 
horse lords and <laughs> wise blood. Thank you so much, guys. You've been listening to Tim Burgess, Ian Harrison, and myself, Andrew Mayo. That was the Mojo Record Club. We hope to see you at the next one. You can all join in. Look in the episode description for full details of all the tracks we played and how to sign up for the next episode. Hi, this is Tim Burgess, and you've been listening to the Mojo Record Club. Damond is still a commie.